Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. After a few technical challenges, we are here with you today. Um, Sometimes technology never ceases to amaze me. So today we are, this is Rachel Marshall here with Lucas Marshall, my husband as well, and Bruce Weiner. And we are talking today about the update of the Marshall Family Bank. And we're talking about the capitalization phase that we're in right now. So just a little bit of context before um, we jump into this show. We've done, I think, two episodes before on our family bank. And so this is leading you through the process of what exactly we're doing in our infinite banking system in our family. And then also what those updates are as the policies mature and as they go through time. So we're looking at what's actually happening. We're pulling back the curtain. We're not just saying here's projections and here's what we expect is going to happen. We're also saying here's what's actually happening right now. We know that's going to be really helpful for those of you who are in the process of deciding whether to get started with infinite banking. And for those of you who might be in the same season that we are right now, the capitalization phase, the first few years of the policies. And um, so what we're going to be doing today is really encouraging you in that, showing you what the policy is doing, how it compares to earlier projections, and really just how you can use infinite banking to help you secure that capital for your family and for future generations. So Thank you for joining us for this conversation today. Um, honey, I'll have you just share a little bit first, and then I'll, I'd like to hear from Bruce before we jump in. It's great to be here. I don't have anything to do with this song. Okay. Bruce, thank you for, for joining us today. Yeah, I, I think when, um, when, and when people look at an episode like this, they might say, well, why are we doing this? And as a financial advisor, you know, I think... Um, when you're trying to explain things about out into the future, I always find it interesting, you know, when a person looks at an investment, let's say a mutual fund or a stock or a bond or something that uh, they don't know what's going to happen in the future. They say, Oh, look, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to presume I'm going to get 7% and we're going to just run that out. And we're going to have this much money at the end. And they really know it's not going to happen that way because they know when they look at the stock market, it's like, oh, it's up. Oh, it's down. Oh, it's up. Oh, it's down. And they're like, I know it's not really going, but it makes me feel good that I'm looking at this. And I know the average and we've, we've, we've done some shows to explain the difference between average and actual. But somehow when it comes to life insurance, uh, whole life insurance and people have uh, an illustration in front of them. And it even says that this illustration is presuming 100% of the current dividend rate projected out into the future to age 121. All of a sudden that is gospel to them. And I'm always amazed at, at what people's mindsets are at that. Um, Maybe it's because not a lot of people actually look at a projection table of a stock or a bond or mutual fund, but they're looking at this illustration. So 
what I think as people are looking at this uh, or listening to this podcast today, what I want you to understand is that the illustrations are simply snapshots in time. Um, they are the, the insurance company's best guess of what's going to happen in some periods of time, whether it's five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. They are better than what they projected. And in some periods of time, they're slightly worse than what they're projected. And so we are just trying to show you how we go through this with clients. Because when you're trying to determine who to go with all the time, people say, well, why should I use this company? And we always tell them, well, the most important thing is not the apparent dividend that is paid or even the cash value that it's projected. The most important thing, number one, as Nelson used to always say, is you need to get started. Mm -hmm. The old, when's the best time to plant a tree? Not It would have been 70 years ago, but the second best time to plant a tree is today. So get started. And then the next thing is to not get hung up in rates of return. Because it's not about the rate of return. It's about developing habits. And it's about um, taking over the banking function on the you and me level. Because I can guarantee you the one number that you can absolutely understand is stop paying interest to another financial institution. That's easy to understand. If I got a credit card, if I have a um, investment building, commercial building or something, and I'm eliminating those interest payments, that's an easy number to understand. You're making those savings right now. So that's kind of a, a Pre prequel to what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, I think people will probably really like to, to dig into this episode. I think one of the things that uh, to hit on what you're saying, and I think you, uh, you and I were talking about this the other day, actually, um, there's a lot of people out there in their marketing that will say things like, we always get you the maximum return on investment, um, you know, the best numbers guaranteed. And everyone else that doesn't design policies just like us is trying to boost their commissions and um, they say they'll show you the numbers like, oh, in your first appointment, guaranteed, we'll beat anyone else's numbers. Send us the illustrations you've already had. And, they, and so they, they, um, they'll say that they don't like using illustrations and, and that it's not about numbers. But yet they make their entire business model about it around the numbers and comparing illustrations. And this is um, funny to me. I've, I, uh, one of the statements I heard recently was, um, I've never seen a policy designed as a that, I don't know, they, they threw out a number 40, 40% base, 60% PUA, which is actually how our policies are designed. And, but as but we don't design every policy the same, but a lot of these people that say these things have like one way of always doing stuff. Mm -hmm. And they said, um, oh, uh, I've never seen one beat uh, a policy designed the way we do with a lower base premium. And I'm like, well, that's very interesting because what they're saying is what you just said. They're using an illustration from the very get-go and then saying, well, it all it, it will it will always beat it. But that's without life actually happening. That's without premiums being like the future premiums being paid. That's without the dividend rates changing going forward. So I say best according to what, right? It's kind of like a question you always say, well, according to what? Because um, to use an illustration, more often than very rarely are you ever going to have apples to apples if you're comparing illustrations. Because usually, even if it's the same company, unless it's, it's very rare that you'll have 
you can only change one variable to have an apples to apples. And then it seems even more funny because as we've discussed, or you and Rachel have discussed in previous podcasts, not every company calculates dividends the same way. And what what if what if you what if you were with a company that's illustrating a high dividend right now, but they've made some poor choices or things that they wouldn't have expected? Like I think there's been a major company, I won't say the name of it, it's been in the news in the last year or so that has had significant hit to their group um insurance, which was a significant profit for the company. Uh, they've had a higher, much, much like a 300, 400% higher mortality rate on their, uh, under their group policy coverage, not the type of policies we're talking about, but under their group business that they sell to companies. And that's significantly impacted their, their profit, which impacts as dividend paying whole life owners, the, the dividends paid on those policies. Now they're having to bring their dividends down. Um, and so again, it all goes back to if it's all about rate of return, that doesn't make sense because we're talking about a safe liquid place to store capital and to have capital. So then wouldn't it make more sense to want a company that's more conservative um, and that's able to seize on opportunities when a higher you know, interest rate market is coming or opportunities are coming along now, they're in a better position um, to, to actually do what they say they're going to do than some of these other companies where now they're having to bring their dividends down. So- yeah, what great, it all really great, great point. Yeah, I think what it all really comes down to is there's way too many people selling on the basis of an illustration, which is a projection, which can look really good up front. <clears throat> but the real reason to have an infinite banking policy is that you're looking for a place to store cash that is safe, that's liquid, and that's growing. And if you're looking for as much safety, you you want a stable, solid company. You want to have the access to capital. And you want it to be able to grow, but don't focus on making the top priority that projection of growth that will end up getting you in a situation where you're overanalyzing the numbers to start a policy. It'll delay your starting the, the infinite banking process, and it will also get you tied up in the things that are not the main point. And so those are some things that hopefully we'll unpack a little bit as we go through this episode today. Yeah, one other one other thought on that was I being in the industry, I've heard agents say, um, oh, th- this company is now beating this company. Uh, and then again, they're talking about easy illustrations. And I and I find that silly. It's like they they will hop from which company they'll use based on which one is look the illustrations look good. And At then the time. and then they use that in the marketing. And then they say anyone that isn't doing it our way or doesn't use this company, or whatever, is is just focused on their commissions, but they're they're selling based on what looks good, not necessarily the underlying fundamentals and, and safety and strength of the actual company that they're that they're using. So at this point, I think it'd be really helpful to really kind of give you a quick journey of our backstory with infinite banking and when we got started up until this point. So I'm just going to unpack this here. So we first started a whole life policy. We started with $10,000 a year a policy on Lucas back in December of 2012. So basically 10 years ago was when we started our first infinite banking policy. We were at the time, um, really, we had put a lot of money in gold and silver. We had expected it to be a store of value. And it ended up being a position that we could not access when we needed to as quickly as we wanted. And the market was down. We ended up losing about half of what we'd put into what we considered savings at the time. And so we switched our mindset and really realized the value of liquidity. 
being able to access and get at your capital when you need to. And so that's this function of having a store of value that's accessible. So that was one of the main reasons why we switched over to using infinite banking in the first place. Is there anything else you'd like to share about that? Um, no, I think that's good. I'd say um, it was with a great company. It was a dividend paying mutual company. Um, in November of 2021, we decided to do a 1035 exchange. And so this was to switch Lucas's policy over to a new whole life insurance policy. And so at the time that we did that, we also increased the premium payments. So this was about a little over a year ago. Um, that essentially restarted the clock on his policy. It was able to move over a chunk of cash value, which was about 61000 so about $60,000 of cash value at the time that was in the first policy that moved over into the second policy as a one payment, one lump sum payment. And then on top of that, we started paying the um, 20000 per year of annual premium. So about a year ago, we made that $20,000 payment. And that was, I guess, just chronologically, that would be what we did first. Yeah, I mean, there's more details in prior videos. I don't think we have to go into the weeds. Oh, yes. I should mention there's two previous videos. There's a lot more detail on that. So then fast forward. So that was November, 2021. Now we're in May of 2022. So approximately six, seven months ago from now, we had additional cash flow, and we said, well, what we want to do is continue to inject more capital into our infinite banking system and grow our family banking system of policies. At the time we had term insurance on me, but no whole life. And we said, it's time to start a whole life policy on me. And so what we did is we put an additional policy on me about seven months ago, that was for 30,000 of premium. What we did also is my birthday is in November. We were able to backdate the policy so that we did a couple of things. We saved age, meaning the cost of insurance was slightly less, but it also allowed us to put more capital in quickly. So just about seven months ago, we paid our first premium, which was actually the premium for November of 2021. So you're able to do this when you start a policy. If your birthday is within a six month window and Bruce, you can clarify if you need to. Yeah, I think I think it's, it'd be hel helpful for me to clarify on that because uh, this comes up a lot. Um, so it's it, it sounds complicated, but it's really not that complicated. So so let's pretend that your birthday is in March, and you go to and apply, and you get a policy approval in August. The insurance company will allow you to backdate up to six months, one day before your birthday. And as Rachel said, you do save age. So like if you're 35 year old, now you get insurance rates of a 34 year old. It doesn't move the needle that much, but heck, if it moves the needle at all, you may as well do it. The problem comes is that in order to do that, the insurance company requires you to pay the premiums that you would have paid from that March date. So March, April, May, June, July, and of course, then August is coming up, which is not a big deal if you are paying from assets. So you're actually just changing your assets from one place, whether it's a savings account, an investment account, whether it's underneath your mattress, wherever it is, because you're just going to make the payment now. And like Rachel says, it does allow you to capitalize the policy quicker because now you're doing this in August. 
you're paying for all those previous premiums way back to March. And then the next time the premium comes up is actually in March now, not in August. If you're paying from cash flow, this can also work, but you will have to have enough of a lump sum of money to make the payment that would have been required for March, April, May, June, July. You make that lump sum, and then you can start the monthly payment in August and going forward. So this comes up a lot because people do their research. And, we're, and we actually like talking to people that do their research. And they ask for these different things, but then they realize, oh, well, wait a minute. I don't have the extra money, so mm -hmm. I can't save age. And they think it's the worst thing in the world. And I'm like, no, no, you're, you're getting started. It's not the worst thing in the world. So that's really Rachel, good. Rachel, it's a really good point, but I just wanted to bring up what in real life, what people are asking and wondering and those kind of things. That's awesome. Because at the time that we started the policy, we were realizing when well, we did have the savings in a bank account, we were realizing we wanted to pay annually. So not monthly. And we recognized that we would already have the premium according to the amount that we were saving on a monthly basis to be able to make the next premium payment when it would be coming due six months later instead of a whole year later. So it was a way to be able to put as much cash in more quickly into a policy. But yes, you would need to recognize that you're going to have more premium due more quickly than if you had just dated it for the day the policy is issued. This is also a good time, Rachel, to remind people that even if you would not have had that, uh, to make the next premium payment that was due in those six months, you could change your mode of premium Yes, to a, to a monthly at that time. This is a technique that a lot of people don't realize that they can do. So you can change from yearly to semi-annual to quarterly to monthly. You can change from monthly back to yearly. You can go back and forth, however your cash flow is. And when people realize that if you're working with somebody that's going to service you and not just put yourself out of the island, there's a lot of flexibility to actually building your bank. And so that's a very good point that you just brought up. So historically speaking, then we have two policies. Lucas has a whole life policy. I have a whole life policy. Both of them were dated in the fall of 2021 when we, when everything was said and done which meant that a couple of things that I want to bring up real quickly. We don't just have those two whole life policies because we wanted to maximize our human life value and get as much death benefit as we could. So we added as much term insurance as possible. And I don't know if we increased your term insurance at the time, but at the time that we well, were putting these policies we, in we, place. We did that a long time ago. Yes. We've, done it. we've just kept our the term up to date at one point. Yeah. Um, when we had our second daughter, we got new policies, but that was actually a couple of years ago. So we've that's something that we've done as time has gone on. We've either increased our term insurance to, to keep up with our human life value, or we've replaced policies to ensure we have coverage for the amount of time that we want to ensure that we have coverage. For those. So that's more of an ongoing thing. Yeah. I'm not, I don't so, know if we did that at the same time that we... Well, we, we I'm sure we did, but it's been it's not like a, a one-time thing. It was, and that wasn't when we started doing that. We, did, we started doing that many years ago. That's a good point too, because wherever you are in your whole life journey, your death benefit will be increasing if your policy is designed in a way to have your dividends 
purchase more paid up additions, you're going to see that your death benefit continues to rise. However, as your income rises or your assets rise, you also may have a higher human life value and you may want to supplement some additional term insurance. So that was one point I wanted to make. The other point was that if we just follow the timeline, it was May when we funded our my policy for 30000 that was dated back to November, which meant in October, he would have premium coming due. In November, I would have premium coming due. And so this past um, October, three months ago, we paid his premium, which was the second year premium, which meant we had a first year anniversary and we started the second year of Lucas's current whole life insurance policy. And then we did the same for me in November, meaning we ended the first year anniversary and we began the second year of the policy by paying the second year premiums. So I just wanted to give some context to where we are in the scheme of things. And so it would be easy to say we're only in the second year of our policy. Yes, we've also been doing infinite banking for 10 years. So those are two um, things that I want you to keep in mind. Um, we also have a different circumstance than somebody who would just have started a brand new policy last year and is now in their beginning of their second year because we were able to bring over that big lump sum from Lucas's first policy, meaning that his percent of cash value available currently is much higher than it might be for somebody who's just starting a new policy. Um, I Rachel, would like to before you, yes. before you go on the next, I just want to clarify something for the listeners. You guys made a decision to do a 1035 from a whole life insurance uh, policy of Lucas's. And the reason was because of the demutualization of a certain company that yes. was projected not to pay dividends anymore. Mm-hmm. And so this has come up a lot of times when people say, well, how do I know that my company um, that I'm using or the company that people are suggesting is it's not going to demutualize either? Um, I have one from the 80s that demutualized. Franklin Life Insurance demutualized in the 80s and AIG bought them. It's not the end of the world necessarily. Matter of fact, I chose not the 1035 mine because when it happened, I was so far into it and I was very, very young at the time that I couldn't make the numbers work as far as my human life value, getting as much insurance that I could possibly get. I was going to really have to drop the insurance to get the same amount of coverage. And because I had all my other policies going it the cash value growing in that one wasn't in i look at that as my permanent term insurance if that makes any sense that's awesome yeah Yeah. because it's it's still growing with some interest but there's just not dividends so i want to reiterate this because our friend james anethery and i talk about this all the time it is very very rare that you should ever replace a whole life insurance policy so if you have it if you have a agent that's saying, oh, you got a terrible policy. You shouldn't be doing that. You should do ours instead. That should be a major red flag. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it should, should never happen, but it should be very, very rare. And, that, and because the reason and because of it is because in the early years of the policy, you're, you're uh, capitalizing and you have to overcome the hurdles of the fees in the early years. And so once you overcome those hurdles to 1035 it because there's some better plan 
is ve- is really not fiduciarily responsible. Now you guys were already past that situation, so it made some sense. But I just thought this was a great time to point out that one, uh, the, the the demutualization, and the mm-hmm. other is that uh, you should rarely, rarely. 1035, a whole life insurance policy into another whole life. And if somebody is telling you that, then please contact us. I will give you a second opinion. And uh, you don't even have to go with us. But I, I am so adamant about this. We will give you a complimentary second opinion on this. And you can still go with your other company. Um, because this is not the way that a person can increase cash flow. They're actually going to decrease cash flow by doing it like that. And really the point is as well, you want a whole life policy to get that running room to be able to have the compounding effect really work for it. And so as your dividends are purchasing more paid up additions and and then those are growing more dividends, you're in a situation where the longer the policy is in effect, the better it's going to perform. And so you don't want to have to go through those early years a bunch of times. You want to go through them once and then leave that policy running. Um, it's kind of like refinancing your mortgage over and over. I know, right? Um, let's talk a little bit about policy design and then let's jump into where we are with the current policies. So we did do a 4060 design on both of our newest policies. And, and so 40% base, 60% paid up additions. And the main reason um, really for us is Again, we want this plan to work in the widest range of circumstances. Sure, could we lower the base and get a higher early cash value? Yes, but that comes with risks. And uh, Bruce, however, the I don't know, I think it was in early December, we we had a meeting with um, somebody with one of the companies we work with, and this kind of was one of the topics we were talking about because they were getting ready to do their own personal policy, and I'd asked them, you know, what uh, they personally thought was safer and it was basically close to what we're doing i mean they, they, they would say it has to be that much but but there isn't like a, a set rate but the point is is we're heading into and, and things are always changing and we're heading into a rising what appears to be a rising uh, interest rate environment and so as dividends increase if your policy was designed with a low base and uh that alone brings risk especially if you do other things are going on with that policy like not paying the full premium or taking taking loans and other factors can then cause it to become a mech or lose its tax status, which then completely changes the whole point of uh, of doing this in the first place. And so um, we were more comfortable with a plan that we felt could withstand a wider range of circumstances and not having to concern ourselves with, uh, oh, well, I pushed it so far to the limit that now interest rates are going up and now my policy is uh, uh is getting going to get taxed to try to access our money so there's something else yeah, that we'll, go ahead Bruce Lucas what's uh because in a real life situation I've always um had the, the debate with people they say well oh, that's a silly argument <clears throat> I would never let the never let it mech because I just wouldn't have the person funded as much well I'm like well, that's that's not great either. That's the whole purpose of you're doing this as a place to store cash. So you're right. <clears throat> Technically, you're right. You would not make it because you just wouldn't put as much money in it. But also that it means then you did not fulfill the original plan. 
because you have to lower the premium. And so yeah. um, to have the more base is actually giving you what you were talking about. This is why Nelson, who was in the insurance industry for 60 years, you know, this is why he is the guy that has the most experience that has passed it along to say, there's not one way of doing it, but there's a range that's pretty good that covers everything. How much you can uh, take advantage of dividends in the future, how much cash value you have available within 30 days, how much death benefit you can have. And so those are the three things. If you're only focusing on one of those three things, then infinite banking isn't for you. You should go do something else because you're really, you're really going to put the design uh, pressure to make sure that you do it perfectly. And um, surprise, surprise, I've been doing this since the 80s. People don't do what they say they're going to do, even the, even the best people. Why? Because life throws you curveballs. Life gets in the way. And uh, that's what people need to understand on, on the design part. So just a couple more things I want to mention before we jump into where we are today. Um, we switched at least mine, maybe yours too, after the 7702 tax code update. We went into that a lot in the last episode, but I just want to let you know that we were not concerned about the changes in what dividends could be or interest rates could be um, within a whole life insurance policy. So there, yeah, I don't think anyone's worried about that anymore. That was a marketing thing that had people oh, concerned because people yeah. were being told, oh, you got to do it before. And now that's been long enough. I don't think anyone's even thinking about it anymore. But I even yeah. talked yeah. about it. Yeah. And uh, two other things were that, yes, when you have a higher base premium, you have a higher commitment. So if you were in a future year where you were concerned about being able to pay premiums, yes, a higher base policy means a higher um, required or guaranteed premium payment that's due because you have to pay your base premium. You can pay your full PUAs. Your, we would ideally want to always pay our full PUAs and it's a great way to make sure you're maximizing your policy, but the PUA does not have to be fully paid in each year. So we were committing ourselves to a higher required payment by setting up the policies this way. And we knew that, and we were willing to do that um, the other thing that we'll point out when we get to the um, statements is that there is more dividend paid on the base policy than on the PUAs. And so that was a piece of looking at the future long-term growth of the policy and why we structured with higher base. Um, so Rachel, why, yeah, go are ahead. you going to pull those? You're going to pull those up? Yes, I can pull up the... The um, statements first, is that what you, where we should go next? Or do you want to look at the illustrations I think, first? I think the illustration just real quickly. And while you're doing that, one thing that I, I'd like to clarify, <clears throat> when Rachel says we're committing ourselves to a higher base payment that's required, it's interesting. You are required by contract, but there's many ways that you can actually pay that base uh, payment. You can actually pay it from values. You can pay it by the dividend that you've actually increased by the higher amount, you can, you can actually uh, surrender some of the cash value. There's a variety of ways to pay it. So, it's, so contractually, it doesn't mean it has to come out of your cash flow if you have some kind of interrupted cash flow. 
there's a way to actually, if you're working with somebody that's servicing you on a yearly or quarterly or annually or, or a daily basis, that they can help you through that. If they're simply telling you, here's the way to do it. Now, every year, make sure you make your payment and thanks for thanks for playing. Then you may have more difficulty figuring these things out. Okay, so Bruce, we have a couple options. Um, do you want to look at the original illustration or the, the original? Yeah. The, the original. Okay, so I'm going to share screen. So Bruce, yeah, and, Luke, want... and Lucas, you're at the end of the first year on this one, correct? Yes. Yeah, the first year was last October, uh, so October 27th of last year. Correct, and so the insurance company projected a $3,568 dividend mm -hmm. that you would receive on your anniversary date. So this might be a good time to review what that means. So every time you put your policy into place, there's an issue date that becomes your anniversary date. So they will actually, you will actually earn the guaranteed interest every day. And then on your anniversary date, the previous year, they would the company will declare a dividend. And once again, these are proprietary. So you don't know if it's a gross dividend or a net dividend, but they're going to declare a dividend and they're going to apply it on your anniversary date. So everybody is going, everybody's anniversary date is going to be slightly different, but it's still from the previous year's declaration of dividend. So they were projecting that on your anniversary date, that there would be a $3,568 dividend. And because you did do the SPIA, the one-time SPUA, not the, not the SPIA, but the, the uh, SPIA is a new, I'm thinking annuities in my mind, but the SPUA, the one-time payment, that's why the cash value is was very great compared to the the contractual premium payment the very first year. So I think this is just a good place to start, 3568, to show you how these insurance companies, it's an actuarial product, even with interest rates changing, so on and so forth. Um, they can actually be pretty good at hitting the dividend rate until interest rates change drastically. Because if you look right above that, Rachel, it says, this is 100% of the current dividend scale. So mm -hmm. of, of, of uh, 2021, when you put this in place, the dividend scale was X, and they're projecting this till, till Lucas's age 121 that the dividend scale is never going to change. Well, the one thing we can say in that 78 years from now that the that the dividend scale is going to change. Okay, so yes. everybody you, remember that number. Okay, so thirty five sixty eight. And do you want to go ahead and look over at his statement now? Yes. Okay. 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 So. I think there's only a couple things because this is a very, um, it, it, it would take a long time and everybody's is kind of individualized, but I think there's a couple things that 
we want to point out here. And the first thing to point out is that you're, you will receive an annual statement after your anniversary date. So, Ra- Rachel, if you can see the upper left-hand, uh, the statement account from 10-27-2021 to 10-27-2022. So, you will not receive this annual statement until it is sent out after October 27th. Now, when we meet with people for a reviewing every year, we have a system in place that we tell a person about two to three weeks in advance that your anniversary date's coming up and we'd like to review with you. And we're able to access this exact document the day after the anniversary date. So it'll be the 28th in your case, Lucas, October 28th. So then we can, we can meet with people. So I always tell them, here's the link to get on a calendar. Do not get on the calendar until after October 28th in your, in your situation, because then I'll have access to the information. So that happens every year. Then they will receive it in the mail. Now, if we go down, I think where we would like, I would like to go down is Rachel t- to actually circle the amount of the base premium. Okay, so you're talking about the 74, right 71, there. 44. Mm-hmm. So that is the base premium. The total premium, as you can see at the bottom, is $19,999.98. And actually, in your case, you could just go ahead and pay the entire $20,000. But um, many of these many, many of these insurance companies have older <clears throat> they have older computer programs and in this particular company they actually would rather that their the death benefit come out into a whole number uh, rather than the amount of the premium so if you go back up to the base policy uh, of 74, 71, 44 for the premium. If you go over to the amount of insurance right to the right of that, notice that's a whole number. There's no sense mm-hmm. in that. And so that's where that little discrepancy comes in. It's not unusual for insurance companies to be like that. So now, Rachel, let's go down to the lower right hand column into how your dividends have been used. And, and you're going to see your total dividends for this year is the first number you're going to see. So 35.67.32. Well, if we go back to what they projected, it was 35.68. And guess what? Once again, on the illustration, they round numbers. So they hit it pretty well. And that's not unusual for this particular company because they are pretty conservative in their projections. Historically, they have had dividend rates as high as any other uh, particular company, but they have been really conservative during the downturn. And so now they are actually in a position where they can actually really come out and deploy a lot of cash in the rising interest rate environment. So, so now they break it down right below it. Now it's going to break it down how the dividend was separated. So the base policy dividend 
was 1790. And that 1790 at 65 cents bought an additional paid up additional death benefit right underneath it of 3837. So this is pretty common for somebody's Lucas's age and his health and his habits that you would get about a two times multiplier on the death benefit. Now, our friends up north, Jason Lowe and Richard Canfield, always talk about this. At age 121, um, the policy is designed to endow. What does that mean? It means the cash value will equal the death benefit at age 121. So that $1,790.65 is chasing that death benefit, additional death benefit at a 38.37.57. So that is like Ryan Griggs, our friend with James Nethery, he has, has always talked about the math. He's a math nerd on this. And he says that is actually the net present value of that future death benefit. So the actuaries know that that base dividend has to catch that PUA death benefit by age 121. So you know it's now declared, it's now guaranteed, and it's going to catch that at age 121. Okay, that's where the compounding comes in. So that's a, I hope that's was an explanation. And Rachel and, and Lucas, if there's anything you want to add to that that I may have um, missed out or for clarification purposes, that would be great. No, I think that was really helpful. And I like um, you talking about the net present value and what the base dividend is doing. So the not only are we looking at how much dividends are paid, but what they're doing to maximize the policy. Correct. All right. Now, Rachel, if you don't mind, go back up. And did you want to look really quick at what the the PUA dividends are? Or did you want to I come do, back to I do, I okay. do, but I'm actually okay. that's what I'm doing okay. right now. Okay. So if you go up and, and uh, now circle the level premium paid up additions rider, that is the additional cash that you're putting in to buy additional paid up insurance. So now you're saying contractually, you're able to, without making a policy, put in an additional $10,855.50. And now, Rachel, you can go down and circle the level paid up additional rider dividends. And I think this is really important. This is the part of the problem of everybody that touts insurance insurance illustrations as we have found the perfect the perfect design and and Lucas you and I actually talked about a certain person who actually has been bad mouthing Nelson Nash and saying that they don't know what they're talking about Nelson Nash the the in, inventor of the infinite banking concept does not know what he's talking about even though he he uh, has been doing this for 60 plus years before his death. 
and he discovered it in the early 80s, so he was touting it for 40 years. It really it irks me because these people don't realize, they don't understand the intricacies of this. So think about this for just a second. The base dividend of only 74.71 produced $1,790 of dividend. Oops, the I just key- made a mistake in my drawing, by the way. I'm going to correct that. Right. Where? I drew the base premium yeah, to you the put full it on the, dividend. You, yeah, that's Oops. all right. That's all right. But yeah, it'd be nice to correct that. I will. <clears throat> Go ahead, Bruce. And so I want you to compare and contrast then to the paid up additions, which is actually larger than the base dividend, or excuse me, the base policy uh, premium. But, but yet, look how small the PUA rider is. I think that's super substantial. Yeah. Well, I mean, the last time you showed me on a different con or a different statement, it was profound. And I'm looking at this here. $7,400 or basically $7,500 of base premium purchased $1,700 of base dividends, but substantially more PUA premium produced, I mean, well, 10%, another, not even 10%, really. Not of, even 10%. Yeah. yeah. And another way to, there's that, there's that one, the next one down, which is the single premium PUA. That's that money that we moved over the one time. Long sums from the prior policy, but even that, that was about 60, that doesn't show it here, it was about 60,000 uh, that was moved over. And um, it doesn't, there's not a premium shown here because it was already, it, it wasn't, it was already paid. I guess it wasn't premium, but it shows, I mean, the cash value is here. So it was right. about that, it was a little bit more, 60, some, 60, 61,000 was moved over. But if you look at where it's showing the dividends on that, which is, Seven goes into 60. Um, About eight and a half times. Yeah, eight times, eight ish times. And it, it took almost eight and a half, nine times amount of money to earn $1,504.39 in dividends compared right. to the dividends earned on the 7000 on the base. So um, now our then, listeners. Lucas, I'm sorry. Our listeners may be saying, well, is that that's just because of this company? No, this is the way all the companies that we work with actually pay their dividends. And the reason for this, if you think about it, is the reason for this is they cannot plan on having that money because it is actually contractually a um an add-on to the policy. So you don't, it's optional. You don't have to pay it. So they cannot count on that actually in their coffers to be producing it. But once it's actually paid, this is the great part about it. Once it actually is paid, they cannot take it away from you and it compounds on top of that. And it becomes part of your guarantees going forward. It becomes part of your guarantees, yes. One last question people may have would be, I guess, the uh, this line here, paid up additions, where it says dividend is zero. And I think that that's because this policy, well, that's because this policy is only is the end of the first year. So going forward, now that dividends have been paid, this is effectively saying the dividends on the prior dividends that have been earned. So it's, it's more of a distinction, uh, I Correct. guess. It's not Correct. a, 
And it's just that they're breaking it down that far. So where there's an actual line item to show, well, here's the here's the amount of your dividends that were earned just on the dividends that you've already earned. So way into the future into a policy, this could appear, that number could be rather large because of the you know compounding of time. Um, but that is what that line item is. Correct. So once again, we don't we don't want you to get too caught up in the numbers. We want you to understand the ratios that Nelson Nash set up is is a guideline. It's not a hard set, like you said, Lucas. You know, the 4060 is something that you guys push. Nelson used to always tell us, you know, really starting out looking at it at 3367. And then adjust according to people's needs from there. You know, we have clients that have gone, we've gone all the way down to 20%. And I only go down to 20% on a person that I have confidence that they have the assets to continue to fund the policy the way they say they're going to fund the policy. If a person doesn't have the assets, then I really try to tell them, we really need to push this base up. And frankly, I've been showing this to people that we've been, that want to learn. And they've been saying, yes, I understand now how the benefits of the four, at least 40%. We've had people at 50%. We've had people at 60%. We had a person inquire the other day that wants to talk to me because they were like, I've never had anybody that actually did a hundred percent base. Like I did on my wife when I converted her term uh, in her policy. And, you know, it's technically not an infinite banking policy right now, but it will be. Mm-hmm. It will catch it. It will catch the, a 4060 design in about 10 to 11 years anyway. And we don't need the liquidity. So my wife and I wanted to have as much death benefit and we wanted to capture in this growing interest rate environment more dividends because we look at this in our overall financial portfolio as being our fixed savings type money. And so we have another enough liquidity in other places that we chose to give up lack of liquidity to maybe capture some of this rising interest rate environment. And I know there's going to be some people screaming out there and say, well, wait a minute, I thought you said Dividends are going to go up and they're going to go down and they're not going to be what they are in the illustration. I agree. But one thing I can tell you is from learning from Dr. Bob Murphy is the boom and bust cycle. And right now we are in a boom cycle for interest rates. So we're in a unique situation right now. Now they may fall again to zero. I don't think they will, but even if they do, do, I don't care because I'll just start, I'll just get the dividend rate that we've been getting, which is fine by me. But if we follow the basic of the boom and bust cycle, interest rates are going to rise. And even if they flatten out, they're going to stay higher in this boom interest rate environment for a while. Guess what? We will capture more dividends at the beginning. And what happens on the compounding effect when you capture something early? It it accentuates everything in the future. It accentuates everything in the future. 
Mm-hmm. So even if, if interest rates, which they will go down again in the future, we've already captured that compounding effect in the rise, the boom rising rate of the boom and bust cycle right oh, now. That was a so that really, was, really good point. Good. I think that's just okay. fascinating thinking about the possibility of capturing as much of the rising interest rate environment possible by having the highest dividend payout, not by just going with a particular company that illustrates better, but by having a higher base policy. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, uh, I just There was just a release by a certain company yesterday comparing 10 or 12 different companies, and they didn't, they didn't uh, show their actual declared dividend rate. They just said whether they maintained it or lowered it. And so you could see how the responsible companies actually lowered their rates quickly in response to the lower interest rate environment and other companies maintain them for a long time because they kept thinking they can't keep these interest rates down this low for that long. And then the next year they kept saying the same thing. Oh, we'll be all right. We'll just keep them up here because they, the federal reserve's got to change their policy and they kept doing it. Now some of those companies are actually starting to, decrease their dividends, even in a rising interest rate environment. It's very interesting because they have to make up for all the mistakes they made earlier. And some of the big boys, and I don't, I'm going to mention this because Northwestern Mutual is not considered an infinite banking. It's a mutual company, but it's not considered an infinite banking company. They've actually really lowered their dividend rate. And a lot of people see, keep saying, see this big company you should never use them. You should never go with them because they lowered their interest rates. Well, that's because Northwestern Mutual has been around for a long time. And they know that dividend rates are going to go up and down and they want to be responsible. One of the reasons that Northwestern Mutual is not normally used as an infinite banking is because they are not touting, they do not want their people to utilize the loans. And they actually manipulate the the uh, the dividend when you do take loans against them, and they also have very high interest rates on their loans to discourage people from taking loans, which is their prerogative. They're a they are a um, appreciation company, not a utilization company. So, but, the, but they're, the they're right. They're they're a responsible company, though. Is my point. So Bruce, from here, I don't think we need to go over my statement as um, as in detail. Do you want me to pull that up, or I mean, just for the sake no, of I time? We can just I think, kind of- no, I think we're good. I think we're okay. good. I uh, I think people understand now. They have a well, pull, like you said, pull back the curtain to kind of understand what goes on in these kind of things, and what is considered, and what kind of things you should expect from whomever you go with to go over these kind of things with you bare minimum on a yearly basis. So and I do. Oh, all, oh, Rachel, that's another thing that just came to mind. You know, people are, this isn't an investment account. People are like, mm-hmm. why can I not see my stuff? I want to see it on a monthly or quarterly or stuff. insurance companies don't do that. And why don't they do that? Because they, the main reason is, they only declare a dividend once a year. So why put out a bunch of statements that 
haven't really changed. They they do change a little bit because they do have the interest rate, you know, so on and so forth. But people are so ingrained about checking their stock portfolio every day that they think they should do that with the insurance company. They do give you some information that you can check out, um, but it's you're not going to see that dividend until the end of the year. So you're only going to get one statement per year. Now, if you need additional information, like if you're if you're doing it uh, for a mortgage and they want to see how much money you currently have, and you can obtain that from your agent, they can help you get that information. Or unfortunately, like some people have been collateralizing at a bank, their, their cash value, uh, they need that. You can get that from your agent. Uh, once again, we did a podcast on that. Uh, Which we don't recommend for multiple reasons. For, for a lot of reasons. Yes. But it, you know, we're not we're not your uh, parents. So if you want to do it, we're not going to stop you either. But you just need to know the pros and cons. And we, I could actually get you two uh, two clients that did it for two of our clients that did it, and they both regretted it. They both really regretted it. And uh, I think most of our listeners would just take our word for it. But if if you want, I would actually have you talk to them, and they'll tell you they regretted it. So from here, I want to point out something, and then we're going to show you the big picture numbers that show all of our premium we've paid in, all of our cash value available, death benefit available. Um, but what I want to say is when you are paying your premiums, what is really exciting is that every time you pay your premiums, you do see your cash value jump up. Your available cash value goes up right at that time. Now, your dividend is not paid until the end of the... Um, the policy yeah. year. Yeah, and anniversary so, day. So you don't immediately see everything available after you pay your premiums and then it stays flat for the full year. So there is a continual change with additional um, growth of your policy over the course of the year. But it is really exciting to see when you pay your premium, you see your cash value increase. And what's cool is that the longer you pay into your policies, the more cash value increases on account of paying your premiums. So um, Lucas put together this really nice spreadsheet and I'm going to share this here. That um, he's able to just keep track of everything that we're doing in our banking policies. And so he was able to pull the current actual data for our policies. And do you want to go over this? Um, yeah, this is just, uh, I did this about a week ago. So all in total, including the money that we moved over from my prior policy, we paid in premium a little over 160000 We have almost basically $1.5 in death benefit on the those two whole life policies. We have an additional $5.5 in term between Rachel and I for a total death benefit of $7 million. But um, here you can see percent of whole life premium is cash value. So that's how much... If if we were to surrender our policies, basically cancel the policies, we would get back eighty about eighty six percent of the premium we've paid. Which um, that is the technical way of surrender value. I like to think of it as we've paid in one hundred sixty thousand total, and of that one sixty thousand, eighty six percent of what we've put in is available for us to pull back out in terms of being able to use for a policy loan. No, 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 that's basically. the next statement. Is the no, that's the next one, whole, yeah. Full okay. life premium available okay. as a loan is about 76%. You can't access all of the cash value. They have to keep some in reserves. 
but um, this keeps going up. Actually, it goes up every day. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. If you log into the website, you you know I'm able to see how much more the cash value got went up that day because the way because we pay annually and because the the way these policies work, um, they're they're actually uh, the statements when you look at illustration are all end of year. So because you only see that that once a year, the illustration showing a once a year number, but what's actually happening is the cash value is actually increasing on a daily basis. And so um, currently we have, we can get to about 70, a little over 76% of the total premium we've paid. And um, we have no loans right now. We have a, so the total cash value available is 100, about 122, 123,000. So that's the high level uh, where we're at. And so by the end of this year, I think the way it works on on our policies for this year right now, if I kind of guess what it's increasing on a daily basis and what that means every month is, it's something like $500, $600 a month is added to our cash value on a monthly basis throughout the year. And I think, you know, as that goes forward each year, it's going to, that'll just accelerate. Um, And then it'll be eventually we get to the point where there's years where it's a thousand growing by a thousand dollars a month and then it's you know more it'll just keep the amount that will be added on a daily or monthly basis will continue to go up but and so these percentages will eventually cross over the hundred percent mark um as we go forward as well something else that i'd like great point i'd like to point out as well our current loan balance is zero i want to say two things about that one we do believe in taking loans we have taken significant loans we've repaid them we've taken more loans we've repaid them um, over the course of time, but currently we're standing with zero in a loan balance. That is good for the reason that we value holding cash because currently we're not investing that in something else. That means that we're okay having the accessible cash to be able to access and use. If we had a uh, you know near 100% loan balance, I would feel a little bit less comfortable because then we would not have the access to be able to get to that cash. But there are times that you're going to have a higher loan balance and le- higher and lower. We do always value repaying those loans. And Bruce, there was a percent that you said was ideal that most of the people who are doing infinite banking um, for a long time usually are. Was it like 12% policy loan or something like that? Do you remember the conversation we had about that? Oh, you mean that, that, that was that was how much how much uh, insurance companies generally have as loans from their portfolio? I think maybe is that was is okay. about is about twelve percent repayment. We normally do whatever the <clears throat> the client feels comfortable with. I normally, at the bare minimum, say, "Well, what is the insurance company charging you?" Currently, the insurance companies are charging anywhere between five and eight percent. In your co- case, Lafayette Life is charging five point seven percent. They can maximum only charge a max of eight percent by contract. So there is a there is a, a top, and most companies are like that too. So these are all the things, and there are times when you're going up and down. My my loan values are very high right now because I access my loans to get into some <clears throat> alternative investments, which I cannot talk about on the podcast uh, because you have to be an accredited investor. And I felt like those alternative investments for my my wife and I for our net worth are going to be tremendously. And now we're we're taking the money that we're making off the alternative investments and we're paying back the loans with with that. And, and plus, I have 
I have six policies. <laughs> and so to try to keep those all straight, I think this is really good that you and Lucas have, you know, one a piece right now. And you'll keep adding to that, but it was a lot simpler. Most people that we work with are going to have these simpler, you know, starts of their family bank and then just keep adding it over and over again. And uh, someday we'll do just like we'll have John Moriarty on again, who started this conversation. And, uh, you know, I'll reveal mine too at, at some point when it, it's a little simpler, but we needed this. We needed to start with the simplistic part of this. Uh, going forward. So thanks for you and Lucas for sharing this to our listeners. Yeah, as we wrap up here, I think the most important thing, if you are in the same season of your policies that we are, or if you're getting started, or maybe even if you're looking back on your early years and you're encouraging your children to get started with infinite banking policies, I would just really help um, direct your focus to the idea that we are doing this now. We're in the capitalization phase. We know we don't have access to 100% of what we have paid into our policies. But what's really amazing is that we know where we're going. And where we're going is having more cash value than we've paid into a policy, having an accessible death benefit should we pass away that would pay into our trust that would be taking care of our children. We have a plan for continuing on our family legacy and the financial resources to do good for generations to come in the future. And so getting started, capitalizing a policy, it might not be the most fun portion of having a life insurance policy, but we're looking forward to those years ahead where we're going to be able to say, we're so grateful that we did this. And so looking ahead and remembering our why, having accessible cash, having a place to store cash that's liquid and growing, and we're not having to wonder if there's volatility in the market, if our rate of return is going to be up and down, if we're going to put 160000 in and today it's going to be worth 160000 and tomorrow it's going to be worth zero. We don't have to worry about that. And so we're in a position that we're just getting better and better. And I will point out as well, the spreadsheet is a snapshot in time. And if we look back to the last time we did this conversation, you can go back to the previous video as well. We'll have links to that um, I think instead of 86% available or pre- whole life premium as cash value, we were at 75%. And so after paying premiums, it bumped up to 86%. Again, if you're just starting first policy, I think mine is like 60% available cash value right now. Lucas is, is much higher because of that lump sum premium that got added in. So your circumstances are going to be completely different than ours, but it's really nice to be able to see somebody else along this journey and we continue to, or we plan to continue updating you as we're paying premiums and as we're using the policy so that you can see behind the scenes. Is there anything else that you want to add in as we close? Um, Bruce, is there anything that you'd like to add? No, I, I think uh, this was a really good uh, explanation. And uh, if people want to talk about their specifics, um, you know, we're more than welcome to go over this, just like this with their, uh, current policy, even if it's not with us, we would uh, go over this with them and and help them understand it. I will also mention, I think we had some technical difficulties. I'm not actually sure that we're live anywhere on any platforms. Um, so if you're catching this as a replay, you are welcome to ask your questions in the um, in the comments section, you're also welcome to email us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. Send us your questions. Um, we love the feedback. Those 
help us to be able to answer your questions more effectively, to tailor future episodes, to be able to be more specific in answering those questions and providing as much value as possible to our listeners. And absolutely, if you are interested in exploring what infinite banking and family banking can look like for you and your family, you can go over to themoneyadvantage.com. You can book a call with our advisors and we would love to have that conversation with you to explore the possibilities and really open up what you could create for you and your family. And I will point out as well, um, this is something that sometimes people will ask as they see that advisor calendar. Um, We do have multiple advisors. Bruce is our lead advisor. He has trained anyone who is on our calendar. And so whenever you are meeting with any of our advisors, you're getting the entire advisor team. You're getting the whole team that supports the work here at The Money Advantage. And so anyone is able to step in as needed. And what's amazing about that is we're able to serve more people and provide tremendous value to you as a client. So um, just wanted to speak to that for a moment and we would love to talk with you. So we look forward to helping you in your in your financial journey to just improve what you're doing and to maximize your financial life. In closing, remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. We'll see you next time. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.